the foundational sin that has created our culture's many problems and moral confusion is this. It all comes back to this. It is the abandonment of the true God. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever wondered what the Bible has to say about current trending topics? What about your response to today's hot topic? Is it shaped by the trends or by Scripture? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom will begin a new 16-part series titled Trending Versus Truth exploring the biblical response to various moral issues that are trending, including gender, sexuality, morality, and social justice issues. Today, Tom will take a foundational look at the deepening rift in the culture's acceptance of biblical truth and how the rejection of God's Word leads to utter confusion about issues that ought to be clear. Are you unclear about what your response should be to these trending topics? Well, Tom, would you explain why it's so important for believers to have a firm grasp on what the Bible teaches regarding the current cultural issues? You know, Bill, I think there's a temptation on either extreme. There are some Christians, on the one hand, who seem to so much delight in all of the controversial issues that they don't really engage with the practical biblical teaching that will help them grow and mature. They spend all of their lives dredging the internet for the latest issue. On the other extreme are some Christians who just want to ignore what's going on, stick their head in the sand and and just not really engage. Neither of those is the right and biblical response. The, the balance is we need to be people who understand the times, but understand them through the lens of Scripture. And that's really what we want to seek to do. We want to commit most of the time to studying the Word of God together, but from time to time to looking through the Word of God at the trends that are rocking our culture. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. It was back in the 1950s that the noun trend began to be used of new and popular fashions and and cultural customs. But it wasn't until this century that the word trend was fashioned into its current form, trending, and, and the word trending itself began to trend. The Macmillan Dictionary writes, trending refers to the topics and subjects that are currently ranked as the most popular on the microblogging platform Twitter trending originated on Twitter thanks to the use of hashtags, words or phrases preceded by the hashtag symbol that are used to identify posts related to a specific subject. It's a way for users to quickly and easily search for the topics that interest them to stay up to date on breaking news. Other social media, news and entertainment sites now include trending topics and trend rankings are very common. Now, if you're younger, you didn't need that explanation. It's intuitive. You're a digital native, and all of this is like, why is he explaining that? It's because there are some people here who didn't know that. Trending has now become part of our vocabulary. The Oxford Dictionary defines trending as currently popular or widely discussed topics online. 
Now, some of the things that trend online are, frankly, hilarious. But sadly, not everything trending is funny. Many of the views that are popular are completely opposed to the truth of Scripture. Popular views on various moral issues are trending, including views on gender, sexuality, homosexuality, the cancel culture, the critical race theory, social justice, and Christian nationalism, among others. Much of what is trending about those issues is frankly contrary to the truth of God's Word. I want to look at those issues in the summer that lies before us. I don't want to start with those specific issues. Instead, I want to begin by considering the root causes of our current cultural confusion. What is it that has led us here? Why is there so much confusion about those things that ought to be clear? I want us to consider this. What is the ultimate cause, the fatally flawed foundation on which our culture's flawed views is built? The ultimate cause the foundational sin that has created our culture's many problems and moral confusion is this. It all comes back to this. It is the abandonment of the true God. Increasingly, the people around us are abandoning the God of the Bible. So I want us to look at that issue as the the fundamental, foundational root cause that lies behind all that's going on. Now, as we consider this primary issue, and the issue really that lies behind confusion about gender and sexuality and social justice and all the rest, I want us to look at this issue and consider several insights that the Scripture gives us about our contemporary abandonment of God. So let's look at it together. First of all, let's begin with this insight, the cultural expressions. How exactly is this trending. How does our culture's growing abandonment of God express itself? How do we see it regularly demonstrated in the lives of the people around us? Now, it's not something that's simplistic or simple. Instead, it is a complex of ideas. Satan is brilliant, so there's not a, there's not a single strategy in this denial of God. Rather, there are multiple strategies, and to fully appreciate what's going on in the culture, we need to look at these strategies, these expressions of this growing phenomenon of the abandonment of God. The first cultural expression, and we need to start here because it in many ways is the largest and is growing even larger, is Darwinian naturalism. Darwinian naturalism Almost all of our culture's problems stem from a rejection of the truths that are revealed in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And man's abandonment of God begins with a rejection of the truth in the Bible's very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Today, the primary worldview in America, without question, is Darwinian naturalism. Now, what is this? Well, let's consider it. Again, the Oxford Dictionary defines naturalism this way. It is the philosophical belief that everything arises from natural properties and causes, and supernatural or spiritual explanations are excluded or discounted. This is naturalism. Everything comes from natural properties and causes. 
Now, as, as I have shared with you before, James Sire, in his excellent book, The Universe Next Door, reduces naturalism, which is a, a complex concept, to six graspable propositions. Here's what naturalism teaches. As, as I just list these, I want you to think about how these permeate our culture. First of all, the first proposition of naturalism is that matter is all that exists, and it has existed eternally. Matter is all that exists, and it has existed eternally. Immediately, you can see the shell and pea game that's going on here, the bait and switch. We're taking the attributes that belong to God, eternality and power and intelligence, and we're now attributing them to matter. It's eternal, and it's responsible for all that is. This is how it begins. Carl Sagan, the leading voice for naturalism until his death, began each episode of his television series, Cosmos, with these famous words, the cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. That's what naturalism teaches. A second proposition is that the cosmos is a closed system. There is nothing supernatural. There is nothing miraculous. It simply doesn't exist. No one will, in, will intrude from outside. Thirdly, Human beings are complex machines. Personality is simply an interrelation of chemical and physical properties that we do not yet fully understand. In other words, all those things that we think of as metaphysical, as non-physical, beyond the physical, in reality they would say they're just physical. It's just physical, chemical properties interacting. Number four, death is the extinction of personality and individuality. When you die, it's done. It's over. There is no eternal life. There is no eternal death. There is no eternity. Number five, morality is determined solely by the individual and the circumstances. Now, this can expand to include not only individuals, but a collection of individuals, a culture, and that's what we see happening around us. You can see how this worldview is, is, is affecting everything. I mean, think about what happens with morality today. We vote on what's moral. That comes from this worldview. Number six, history is a linear stream of events linked by cause and effect, but without an overarching purpose. In other words, life as we know it is completely random. There is no larger story. There is no plan. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. It's simply a linear stream of events linked by cause and effect. What does the Bible say about naturalism? Well, it doesn't address it specifically, but it does address it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wants to encourage us that we should stop living like we used to live before Christ. And he says this in Ephesians 4.17, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, as the pagans also walk. And notice the first way he describes those who are without Christ, who are pagans, how they live, how they walk, what their lifestyle is like. They walk in the futility of their mind. The Greek word translated mind here is a complex word that can be used in a variety of ways. Here, Paul uses it in the sense of one's entire disposition. 
your frame of mind, your way of thinking, or your mindset. It's essentially what we mean by the word worldview. It's the universe of ideas in which we live and think. And Paul says in verse 17 that all of the worldviews, all of the mindsets, the grids through which unbelieving pagans see the world, all of them are without exception, notice, futile. They lack meaning and they lack purpose. And that is just as true of our age's dominant worldview, Darwinian naturalism. It is futile. It is worthless. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. We are adrift, not only in the universe physically, but spiritually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about the fact that there are fortresses, is the idea, that have been built up in the pagan world in which we live. And he says we need to respond to those fortresses. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The picture here is is the idea of a fortress or a stronghold on a hill. In Greek culture, often cities like the city even of Corinth were built near an acropolis where where you could build a, a kind of fortress, a place into which the people of the city could retreat if the city were attacked. That same fortress often also served as a prison, which is appropriate for what Paul's describing here. So what are these, these fortresses? Well, notice 2 Corinthians 10.5 calls them speculations. It's an interesting word. The Greek word is legismos. It's a general word. You, you can recognize the word logic in there, the English word. It's a general word that refers to all human or demonic thoughts, opinions, reasonings, philosophies, theories, psychologies, perspectives, religions. You get the idea. All the unbiblical systems of thought that are exalted as the truth against the knowledge of God, they are speculations. They are fortresses to be attacked. Instead of embracing those systems, we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How do you do that? Well, the only thing that exposes unbiblical thought and ideologies is the truth of Scripture. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul is talking about the armor that we're to put on, he says we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. That's how we attack these speculations, these these philosophies and ideas that are raised up as the truth against the truth of God. The point I want you to get is this. Our nation has fled from its creator into an enslaving fortress, and one of the chief enslaving fortresses of speculation into which we have fled is Darwinian naturalism. And it is a tomb, a prison for the people around us. There's a second trending expression of of this growing denial of God in our culture, and it's philosophical atheism. Philosophical atheism. This often accompanies and follows naturalism. It is the philosophical conclusion that there is no God. You see this expressed in several places in Scripture by wicked people. Psalm 14 is one of those. In Psalm 14, verse 1, David writes, the fool 
And in biblical terms, we're talking about someone who is foolishly wicked, someone who is overcome by their sin. They're a fool in the moral sense. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He goes on in the rest of verse 1 and verses 2 and 3 to describe the, this person who denies the existence of God as an extreme example of depravity. But of course, Paul borrows from those same verses in Romans 3 to describe all of humanity. But the wicked fool says in his heart, there is no God. He denies the existence of God. Now, it's important for you to understand what's going on here. Derek Kidner in his commentary on Psalm 14.1 writes this, this assertion that there is no God is not a sincere, if misguided, conviction, but an irresponsible gesture of defiance. In other words, in biblical terms, and we'll see it in a moment, a person who struggles believing that there is a God, who says there is no God, that person is not a victim. Instead, he is acting in deliberate and culpable defiance of God as creator. Recent surveys by the Pew Research Center have shown that while the group of atheists in our country is still small, it has grown over 30% in a, just a few short years, and it probably will continue to grow. It'll never, however, be, I don't think, the predominant view in our country as some of these others will. Let's move on to a third expression of our trending rejection of God. It's paganism. Paganism. Paganism is the worship of any god or gods but the true God revealed in Scripture. In biblical terms, a pagan is one who doesn't claim to worship the true God of the Bible, but some other God. This is described in Romans chapter 1, verse 23, where Paul describes pagans this way, they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures and other scriptures add, and the sun and the moon and the stars and on and on the list goes. Now, Scripture constantly condemns paganism, the worship of other gods besides the one true and living God. In the Ten Commandments, that's how it begins. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, we read the things which the pagans sacrifice. So when you think about people in other religions, people who are attached to idolatry. He says, the things which the pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. What Paul is saying is that false religion ultimately is energized by, directed by demons. People think they're worshiping God, but they have been deceived, they've been led astray, and in reality, they're worshiping a demonically inspired, satanically inspired substitute. Understand this, the people in our world who are involved in the religion of Islam, the people in our world who are involved in Hinduism, in Buddhism, and on and on the list goes, they are not sincerely seeking and, and sort of through that mode worshiping the true God, they are worshiping demons. That's what the Scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians 12.2 says, you know that when you were pagans, talking to the Corinthians who that was their background, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. You were just led along 
Galatians 4.8, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are not God's. About 6% of the U.S. population, and it's growing, is pagan by the biblical definition. That is, they claim to worship a different God or gods than the true God of the Bible. A fourth expression of our abandonment of God is syncretism. Syncretism. Syncretism is a combination of a distorted view of the true God put together with another view of reality, such as naturalism or paganism. In other words, it's combining them together. This is one of the most common expression of our culture's abandonment of God, just as it was in ancient Israel. There are many places I could show you this, but turn with me to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, here's what I want you to do, Jeremiah, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. In other words, go to the gate of the temple and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter by these gates, don't miss this, to worship Yahweh. You've come to the temple to worship Yahweh. But that's not all that's going on. Go down to verse 9. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely? In other words, they were breaking the Ten Commandments and coming to worship. But that isn't all they were doing. They weren't just breaking the second half of the Ten Commandments. They were breaking the first half of the Ten Commandments. You are offering sacrifices to Baal and walking after other gods you've not known. Then you're coming and standing before me in this house, which is called by my name, and you're saying, we're delivered so that you can do all that you want. You can do whatever sin you want. You see what's going on here? These are people who hadn't abandoned a claim to worship the true God. That was still part of their life and their faith. But they added to that the worship of other gods. Now, this is so common in our country. 65% of the people in America claim to be Christian. And if you just look at that statistic, you might say, well, that's encouraging. I'm sorry to say this, but don't be encouraged. Because that's not accurate. Because a large percentage of that 65% are, in fact, syncretists. Roman Catholics, for example, they worship the true God, but they also add to that the worship of Mary and the saints and, of course, have a false gospel beyond that. You have the charismatic movement with its prosperity gospel, and much of that movement worships health and wealth and prosperity. Many professing Protestants are at the very same time Darwinian naturalists. Understand, folks, this is syncretism. This is not the following of God. This is the abandonment of God. A fifth expression of our abandonment of God is practical atheism. Not philosophical atheism, we've already talked about that, not an intellectual denial of God's existence. Rather, it is the practical denial of God's existence by living as if he did not exist, even if theoretically you still affirm that he does. It's a, it's a kind of practical deism. God created, and he's out there somewhere, but frankly, he just doesn't matter. Look at Psalm 10. You see this disposition displayed here. Psalm 10 Verse 3, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. 
The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. Now, at first glance, you might say, well, this, is, this maybe is a philosophical atheist. No, it's not. Let me show you why. You'll notice there is a marginal note for the word thoughts there in verse 4. It's literally the word plots or schemes. So it's not saying his thoughts are there is no God, but his plots, his plans, his schemes are all made as if there were no God. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series titled Trending Versus Truth. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Plan to join Tom Pennington this summer, June 24th and 25th at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, as he introduces the Word Unleashed's first annual Faithful Stewards Conference Series. Faithful Stewards is designed for pastors, elders, teachers, and church leaders. But even if you aren't in one of those categories, you're welcome to attend. This year's theme is Loving Christ by Feeding His Sheep, a reflection on our Lord's challenge to the Apostle Peter, as found in John chapter 21. There's no cost to attend, but registration is required. June 24th and 25th. Go to thewordunleashed.org to register. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.